And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. That's what we do here on the radio. But let me remind you that we're not just on the radio. We also have lines of guidebooks and we have a website called Fromers.com, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com, that we're very proud of. We post new articles every day. They're about what's changing in the world. They're seeing the world through the lens of travel, even in this the pandemic era, but we're also discussing cuisine, we're discussing history, we're discussing culture. Uh, so we hope you'll come visit us there and do follow us on social media. All you have to do is look for the word Fromers, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S, on Pinterest, on Facebook, on Twitter, and on Pinterest, and on, oh, I'm, whatever the, whatever other, <laughs> I'm blanking on channels, but you know the other one. Um, All right. As I said, we're living through a very strange pandemic era that has changed how we do everything, how we vacation and how we live. To discuss the latter, we have Laura Begley Bloom on the line. She is a columnist for Forbes. You can read her at Forbes.com. And Laura... First of all, welcome to the Travel Show. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So, Laura, you wrote an article called Back to School Around the Globe. What does that mean? Well, it's talking about what it's looking like for kids to go back to school around the globe. Um, in fact, uh, many kids are not going back to school in person these days. They're doing remote learning and distance learning. And what's happening is that in the travel industry, they're trying to help out. So a lot of hotels and travel companies are helping make the experience better for kids by offering programming that will give them a new kind of global education. So this is also a way for, I hate to say it, but desperate hotels and tour operators to fill beds, right? Are they giving people good prices? Because I would think if you're going to move with your kids somewhere to do remote learning in a place, you're going to, are you going to be there for a while? Or is this something that people are doing maybe for one week out of a semester? Well, it really is a mix. There are some hotels uh, like Estancia Vic, which is in Uruguay. It's a beach resort uh, where you can take over the whole place. And there, it's going to cost you $6,000 a night. So this is not not for everyone, but they create a whole school-like experience for the kids where you go to local museums um, instead of doing an art class or go horseback riding instead of having gym. But it's not all like that. There are also options for mere mortals where there are hotels that are offering sort of enhanced kids clubs almost where that kids can go and have these learning experiences. And you know, there are also hotels where they will look after the kids for the day. So if mom and dad want to work, 
It can send the kids off to school and, and the hotel will provide a proctor, for instance, to make sure that they're doing all of their classwork. How are they doing this safely? I mean, one of the reasons we're in this remote learning pickle is that they feel that kids who are grouped together could have a higher possibility of spreading the virus. So how would they do a a kids club? Well, that is a really good question, Pauline. And I think it's something that, you know, as parents and as travelers, we have to be careful about as we're looking into these places and make sure that these hotels are taking those precautions. Some of the properties I've seen where they'll have a limit of four kids or some they'll even have one-on-one tutors. So I do think you want to make sure that your kids are being socially distanced if they go to a, more of a kids club and that they're spaced apart and that the property is is really making sure that to keep your kids' safety in mind. Are there usually limits on outdoor activities or are these resorts becoming bubbles? Uh, the resorts are becoming more bubble-like, if you will. Uh, but I think a lot of the onus does also fall upon the traveler. You know, I've stayed at a few hotels and done some vacations myself in um, last month or so. And I've gone to some properties where they limit the number of people who can be at the pool at once or numbers of people that can be in certain areas. But then I've stayed in other places where they're not really keeping such a close eye on things. Hmm. So, again, I think that you as a traveler, you really need to ask questions and make sure that you are sending, you know, yourselves and your kids into a safe environment as you're going into these. And the places that I've got in my story, I feel confident that they're going to be doing the right thing. But, again, you want to make sure to always ask the questions and be safe, whatever environment you're going into these days. Sure. Well, let's talk about the story. For anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Laura Begley-Bloom. She is a columnist for Forbes. And you you start by talking about remote learning experiences and breaking out some of the companies that are doing this. Uh, Let's talk about them uh, one by one. Embark World Academy. What, What are they doing? So Embark World Academy it has been created by a company called Embark Beyond, but it's a lifestyle and travel planning business. And they've done something that's super innovative that's really unlike anything else out there, uh, where they've partnered with the co-chairman of a group at Harvard called the Principal Center Advisory Board. And what they're doing is they're creating these extracurricular experiences that are curated by various hotels around the world. So these last throughout the semester. They're semester-long activities. Your kids can learn to make pastry from a, a pastry expert in Paris or learn about sustainability from folks in Africa or learn jewelry design from experts in Colombia. And the chairman of the advisory board also meets with each student to tailor make it for the student. And interestingly, what they were originally going to do is they were going to send out families on the road, you know, with a private tutor and create these experiences as a sort of a destination classroom concept. But then with the world pretty much shutting down, especially to Americans, they tailored this and they've made it a virtual program. So I think it's really great. You'll learn so much about, your kids will learn so much about the world this way. Yeah. All right. What about Indigari? Am I pronouncing that right? Yep, it's Indigare. Um, this is a travel planning company that was founded by a former magazine editor. 
So it has. I have a soft spot in my heart for it. Um, and they've created something called Indigare Global Classroom. And um, that was actually really aimed more at adults initially. But then this summer, they did a really cool thing called Camp Indigare, where they were doing programs for kids, where kids could learn, again, about the world virtually uh, with topics like Harry Potter or penguins or astronomy. And it's going. It's continuing through this fall. Uh, so they've got programs for adults, but then they've also got classes that are great for kids too. And then with this, you can join in on one-off classes, or you can do uh, private lessons as well. Interesting. I was so happy to see the next company on your list, Context Travel. This is a company that that's I've taken their their walking tours. They're splendid. They have some of the best experts on the planet leading them. How are they making use of those experts in these socially distanced times? Well, they, as many companies have these days, have pivoted uh, in response to what's going on because people can't travel as much and go out and spend time with those experts on the ground. So they have created something called Context Conversations, where they're using that network of scholars and experts to do virtual classes. And so it's everything from art history to archaeology, architecture, et cetera. Um, so, and, there, and here there are classes for both kids and adults. So it's, this is really something that would augment your child's right. remote learning program. But it's a great way for kids to learn about what's going on around the globe. And then there are also some in-person ones, like at Beach Plum Farm in New Jersey. I would think that this is a great option for kids who probably have no idea where their food comes from. Uh, well, I think for so many kids, it's really important to get them out there and to show them where their food comes from and to, keep, you know, to bring them to a farm and show them what life on the farm is like. And Beach Plum Farm is a really special place in Cape May, New Jersey. It's a working farm, and they're offering an all-inclusive educational program for families It's starting up this fall uh, where kids can go learn about where their food comes from, go on nature trail walks, take scavenger hunts, do watercoloring, and more. And, of course, they get to also, when they're there, feed the chickens and, you know, and taste the food that's grown and help the farmers pick the food while they're there. So it's, I think, a really wonderful, immersive experience. And most families know about Great Wolf Lodge. These are places with lots of indoor water slides. In about 20 seconds, how are they pivoting? Uh, well, they've basically created these e-learning classes. Um, so they, it's, a, it's called the Howl and Learn Package. And so it's basically the kids can learn in between their water slide time. Um, and they've created a <laughs> special area of the resort called Wiley Schoolhouse that's part of its new Clean Plus partnership uh, that they've done. So they want to keep kids safe and then teach them something and let them have a fun time too. Yeah, yeah. All great ideas. So go to Forbes.com. You'll find Laura's article there. Uh, Laura, we thank you so much for appearing on the Fromer Travel Show. Thanks to both of you. It was great to, great to join you today.
This is The Travel Show, The Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Jason Cochran. He is the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. We're bringing him on to try and keep everybody abreast of the current travel news. And you can do that by going to our website, Fromers.com, or better yet, signing up for our newsletter, which is free. We hope you'll do that. You just go to the front page of Fromers.com and you'll see a little box and that that's how you do it. Very easy. So Jason, welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. Thank you. So let's talk about road trips. And before we do that, we do tape this show in advance. So we are talking at the end of August. We're doing so, uh, we just want to make sure that that's out there because the news is changing so fast. Uh, so, Jason, what is the most important thing to do when choosing a road trip destination? Personally, I just make sure that my car is my domain. It's kind of people are afraid of taking road trips right now. And I think they ne- don't necessarily need to be because if you t- if you drive yourself, you're in control of your environment the entire time. So um, when, I, when I've taken road trips in the past, I've taken a few now, um, past few months, I always make sure that I have lots of hand sanitizer. That, to me, is the most important thing. Because when you stop for gas, you're going to be handling a gas pump. <clears throat> you know, when you give money for anything, uh, for food or anything at a store, you're, there's always touching things. You know, and washrooms, you know, you need to have the sanitizer ready to keep yourself as fresh as you can as you go. That, right. I think, is the most important thing. Um, otherwise, you're kind of in, in control of your environment quite a lot. I recommend a few other things right now. I think people should drive a little bit more carefully than they're huh. used to driving. I don't know if anyone sure. else has noticed who drives. People are driving a little bit mm, over-enthusiastically in the last few months. I think wow. a lot of people got used to the empty roads and are just yeah. super excited. And uh, so you don't want to end up in the ER at this moment in time uh, right. for obvious, obvious reasons. We let them focus on the problems at hand. You know, um, I wanted I also, to yeah. I wanted to say before you take a road trip, you also should. There's a very good resource. The Harvard Global Health Initiative has an ma- interactive mm-hmm. map of the United States, which shows county by county what the COVID infection rates are like. And so that might help you decide to go to one county over another or one even one state over another because you, you don't want to go to a place where things are spiking. I, I hate right. to be That's so good. negative. But, but yeah. You just want to be careful. You know, and also I'm telling people that if you've got enough food in your car and you don't need to take the major highway or freeway or, or you know, interstate, take the off-roads. Take the, you know, the little roads to the countryside. The stores that are on those roads need your business right now more than the ones that have traffic delivered to them every second on the interstate. So the big determinant for most people will be, where am I going to eat, I think, when I travel, when I'm on the road trip? Right. Unfortunately, because so many regular restaurants are closed, that is right now falling to fast food for a lot of people because they can go through the drive-thru. Right. And if you're worried about that, uh, worried about changing, you know, handing money over or anything like that, most of the major fast food companies or, or even takeout restaurants will have their own app. And most of them, Chipotle, Taco Bell, McDonald's, they'll all allow you to order and pay right there on your app and you just tell them your code and they hand your food over and there's no contact really, except for taking the bag out of the window. So that is a good choice. If you do have a couple places that you'd like to normally go, 
it's obviously not the best way to eat in terms of your health. So you will want to probably bring some things to eat, which most people do anyway on most of their road trips. I don't think that's sure. new advice, but it's more important than ever before. And take the take the roads that go away from the freeway if you do have your own food, because those shops stopping for a drink, you know, relax. Those shops need your business right now more than the ones on the highway do. Right. We're speaking with Jason Cochran. He's the editor-in-chief of Fromers.com. What we're discussing is on the website. So if you're, we're going too fast, you can easily go to Fromers.com and, and read about it there. Now, certain states you cannot get out of your car and hang out in and then, you know, and, and see things because there there might be quarantines in place. Unfortunately, there had been a good website done by the National Governors Association, which listed quarantine requirements, mask requirements, etc. But I got to say, they're not keeping it up to date. It's mm. it's it's not changing the way it should be. So uh, I guess the advice is to check every state you're going to be driving through to make sure that you're not violating quarantine regulate regulations, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the ideal situation. I'm also feeling that, you know, a lot of states aren't even enforcing some of their their um, quarantine stipulations. And so I'm not encouraging anyone to break any local laws, but you have, you have to wonder if they're not maintaining word about whether or not you should quarantine, if they're going to maintain that you do quarantine once you're there. Um, and just driving through a place, it's going to be less of a worry for you than if you are planning on staying for right. you know, a couple of days at a time. That's when it becomes more of an issue. Now, so, yeah, if, the quarantine question is a big murky one right now because of the way each state is handling it in a completely different fashion. Yeah. Now, if you're going to be traveling via, say, uh, S- not SUV, but RV, or if you plan to tent it, if you plan to sleep outdoors, it's gotten a little bit more difficult to find a place to stay because a, a lot of the campgrounds are are enforcing social distancing and are not opening up every single slot that they used to. Uh, and some of the national and state parks have closed their campgrounds altogether. So you have to be a little bit more proactive about finding either a hotel or a campground. Right, Jason? Yeah, I've done it both ways. I've planned ahead where I'm going to stay, and I've also done it on the road using an app. You know, Hotwire and Hotel Tonight and those apps that have last-minute deals are still doing them. I don't think they're as cheap as the deals aren't as cheap as they used to be because there are fewer hotel rooms on the market at the moment. Yeah, they're not as bottom, but it's also the summertime. Who knows what will happen soon? But um, but you can still find good last-minute deals that you'll that are perfectly acceptable. Um, and that's what I did on our recent trip up to the Yosemite area. I didn't have my hotel until about two o'clock in the afternoon and I rolled in at about five and I was but, very happy with the hotel that I found. But for the Yosemite area to get into that national park, you had to have advanced reservations, right? A lot of national parks, the major ones are requiring advanced reservations. Yosemite is one of them. Each one has its different rules and when they release the next batch of uh, tickets, it's often like a month ahead. Right. Yeah. So you need, you need to be aware of that. I also tell people bring a tent um, if you know how to, have a, how to put up a tent because you can always use it in a pinch. Yeah, you, just you, in you, case. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, we have to say goodbye to Jason, but we thank you so much. And don't turn that dial. We're going to be back with more of the travel show after these messages. Thanks, Jason.
welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have one of our favorite guests back. She is Elaine Glusak. She is the frugal travel columnist for The New York Times. Hey, Elaine, welcome back to The Travel Show. Hi, thanks for having me back. So you always have your finger on the pulse, and you wrote an article about a topic I didn't know anything about, regenerative travel. For our listeners, who I'm assuming don't know about this either, in a nutshell, what is that? Yeah, I didn't know about it either until I started reporting this. So, um, and it's a very new concept. Um, So no one is behind the times here. Um, Regenerative travel is um, this idea of going beyond sustainable travel. So if, if sustainable travel is about balancing um, uh, what you're doing or what you're taking out of the environment and restoring it so that you're sort of net zero. Regenerative tourism says, let's leave it better than we found it. So it's actively restoring ecosystems, um, helping communities um, sustain themselves beyond travel. Um, it's something that grows out of uh, a trend in regenerative design, which yeah. includes um, buildings that might need lead specifications that some of your listeners might be familiar with. Um, can you and it's very, very lead is I can. Yes, it's called the. It's um, it's a certification by the U.S. Green Building Council, um, and it's uh, lead L E E D meaning leadership in energy and environmental design. So it's um, uh, buildings that are certified um, for their um, like light, light treading lightly um, in the environment. Right. Well, it, as you say at the start of the article now may be the perfect time for that because in a certain way all travel is going to be regenerative because there hasn't been travel for most of us for the last what six months now and so it it, it's partially that the travel industry is going to have to regenerate but it's it's deeper than that it's greener than that so give us some examples of how different companies are tackling regenerative travel, what they're going to be doing to make their tours or their properties actually regenerative? Yeah, I think that's the the big question. I think um, people have taken this time to really think about how travel should come back. And, and, and a lot of people are talking about, you know, coming back better and being greener. And for most people, that's sustainable. But um, these these sort of new thinkers are saying, well, let's make it regenerative beyond that. So it's a little bit hard to find it in action fully um, because it really seems like it's something that people are thinking about, which is which is a, you know a good start um, since we have the time. But there's a couple of um, there's a there's there's a resort in Mexico in particular that seems to um, sort of demonstrate how this works best, and it's called. Playa Viva, and it's near Zihuatanejo in Mexico on the Pacific coast. And it is, um, he is about 11 years old. Um, and so you're saying, well, that's not new. But the thing is, regenerative tourism takes a while to prove itself. Sure. Um, and what, what this, this, what this um, resort, um, the owner, what these resort owners did was like, you know, they found this, this beautiful patch of coast. And instead of sort of helicoptering in with the resort and saying, well, we'll give you local employment, they said, you know, what, can we do to be a part of this community and how can we help the community benefit, not just with employment, but, you know, can we make this business something that sustains and, and regenerates a, um, a small town that was dying? Hmm. Um, so many things were done, including permaculture operations, 
Um, but one of the things they said is, well, let's make the village the resort. So they make sure that everyone sort of comes through the village when they're on their way to the resort. Um, the resort works hand in hand with the community. It funds um, education and health initiatives. It got turtle poachers to become turtle um, guardians uh, oh. on its coastline. Wow. Um, and they say after all this time, they've shown some success because some of the young people are starting to return to this town because it is uh, more thriving than it was when they first arrived. Right. And now there's also interest in regenerative travel from one of the largest tour companies in the world, which is Intrepid Travel. What are they planning to do? Yeah, Intrepid Travel really walks the talk, uh, it seems. They um, have committed, they've been, um, I guess, carbon neutral for about 10 years. But um, this year, instead of just covering their carbon emissions uh, generated by their trips, they're going carbon positive, or I guess they call it, um, yeah, I think that's what they call it. Um, I'm always, I'm never sure whether it's carbon negative or carbon positive, but they're covering 125% of the carbon emissions produced by their trip um, with the idea of, you know, improving the environment that they're working in. And I just want to, I want to, um, I want to quote uh, what the CEO told me because I thought it was really interesting. He said the idea that, that business success means you have to do harm to the world, um, is, you know, you know, why is that? It shouldn't be that way, right, um, which, right. which shows yeah. a lot of heart. It's fascinating. And also you, you talk about different countries or destinations like Flanders, which is part of Belgium, uh, that are going to hope to come back with less tourism so that they can have a better, re they can regenerate the community for their uh, people. We have been speaking with Elaine Glusak. She has a terrific article in the New York Times. It's called move over sustainable travel regenerative travel has arrived thank you so much elaine for appearing on the travel show thank you so much for having me Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Melanie Hipcamp. Oh, God. <laughs> Let me start again. That's crazy. And welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my father, Arthur Fromer. And on the line, we have Melanie D.G. Kaplan. She is a contributor to The Washington Post. Welcome back to The Travel Show, Melanie. Thank you. Great to be here. So you wrote a fascinating article about the three main new websites people are using to find out about campsites and also, in some cases, to book them. Uh, they're called Hip Camp, Tenter, and The Dirt. Tenter is spelled with two R's and no E. The Dirt is D-Y-R-T. Let's go through them one by one and, and tell me what you think each one is good for. So Hip Camp, is that the biggest one? Um, Hip Camp is the largest one, and it also might feel most comfortable to users who have used Airbnb. The, the interface of the platform is very similar. It's fairly easy to book, put in your dates, put in search functions, and you can find everything from... 
um, retro RV camping to treehouse camping. Um, and the cool thing about Tenter, I'm sorry, about Tip Camp is that they are working with a lot of private landowners, mm. so farmers and ranchers who are renting areas of their land um, to actually create more campsites. Wow. So you could actually be camping and not have somebody right next to you with some of their options. Exactly. Yes, which is which is a big plus these days. <laughs> now, it seems like you're defining camping pretty broadly. I mean, I would think a uh, treehouse is already built. You, you don't have the right to just go and build a treehouse. You, you, you're going to structures that are already built as well as erecting your own tent. Is that correct? Exactly. Yes. And of course, people have all different definitions of roughing it. Um, <laughs> you know, some people, if they're not having Italian sheets, it's roughing it. But in this case, you know, being in the outdoors or closer to the outdoors. Um, and of course, there's a huge range from backpacking, you know, into the into the backcountry and pitching your tent to staying in a cabin that actually has a bed and in some cases, electricity. And a bathroom, or not usually? Is that usually the differentiator? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes a bathroom, yes. Um, in fact, I think with the hip camp properties, if the, if the property is not a certain acreage, they are required to have a bathroom because if you're going to the bathroom in, in the wild, you want to have plenty of room, So, um, as you can imagine. <laughs> and so how do you know what you're getting? Are, are, these, are there user reviews? Are there lots of photos on hip camp? Yes, there are both. There are lots of beautiful photos and user reviews. Um, one thing I did run into is staying at a hip camp property and reviewing it and not giving it the best review because there was some loud noise and then mm. the host actually came back and said, would you mind changing your review, which is a little unsettling mm. because... Yeah. The reviewers, I'm sorry, the, the guests and the hosts are reviewing each other. So there's, right. there's some incentive to leave good reviews. So you've got to read them all knowing, understanding that. And I think most of the reviews you can usually trust, but you just need to know that you can't trust all of them. Right. We are speaking with Melanie Kaplan. She wrote a great article for the Washington Post called Hip Camp Tenter and the Dirt, Trying Out Camping's Newest Startups. So Tenter, uh, T-E-N-T-R-R. How does that compare with Hip Camp? How does it differ? How is it the same? It's, um, well, it is, it is the same in that you can stay in properties that are campsites that have lots of open space. Um, Tenter, I think, requires its host to have 10 acres, and these are actually pre-built structures, so it's a large canvas tent on a wooden platform, and again, these are often farmers and ranchers who have these Tenter sites set up, and Mm -hmm. you go and stay, and you can um, sleep on a real mattress, and it comes with Adirondack chairs and a picnic table. So the idea is you really don't have to pack any gear. You don't have to clean dirty tents the next day. You just show up and you've got this wide open space. So there's not only nobody next to you, but nobody in your line of vision. Um, so it's, what, it's really secluded. What are, the, what are the average costs for camping out these days? 
You know, um, those tender locations start at 100, and they actually can sleep up to 12 people. Because you could get a couple people in the canvas tent, and they provide another pop-up dome tent, and maybe a third couple or family could come and bring a separate tent. So you've got all the space to play with. And there um, are cheaper options, too, right? Maybe more through hip camp? Yes, yes. I mean, I, I've seen things on hip camp as low as $10, but you could also stay in a geodesic dome for $400. Oh. So just for regular <laughs> camping, I would say the average prices on hip camp are 25 to 50 range. Ah, interesting. All right, and the dirt. We've got about a minute left. That is a just a review site, although eventually they will be uh, also helping you book, right? That's exactly right, yes. And so if you are a regular camper, I, I would highly recommend this site. It, it's got reviews and pictures and tips from national, um, national parks and state parks and all sorts of campgrounds. Um, and right now you can look and read the reviews, and then you'd have to go to the separate park campground to book. But it's just a, a great way to figure out, you know, okay, is this good for families? Is it good for dogs? Sure. How far am I from the water? So um, they're, they're really the, the good place for uh, deep information, the, the kind that yeah. you need before you book. And eventually you'll be able to book there too. All right. Well, it's a great article. Once again, it's on the Washington Post site, Hip Camp Tenter and the Dirt, trying out camping's newest startups. Thank you so much, Melanie, for appearing on The Travel Show. Thanks, Pauline. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And we always remind you, we're not just on radio. We have a website. We have social media channels. And we also have books that are going to save you time, save you money, and make your vacation that much better. Uh, We have so many great books to all parts of the United States. Our bestseller right now is our book to Yellowstone, written by a woman who lives right outside the park. I mean, that's one of the things that makes the Fromer Guides different. All our books are written by local experts, so I actually write the New York book. Uh, But she is a naturalist. She's lived there forever. And she tells you about the trails that other folks don't tend to know about. It's great for social distancing. She tells you which facilities will be best. And I believe that book, our Yellowstone book, is the most fresh one on the market. It came out the most recent of all our competitors. It's, it's a fabulous book, Pauline. I've, I've been fascinated by it. Yes, and we also have a great one to Yosemite. Also just came out, just hit the newsstands, or the, actually the bookstore shelves, uh, written by Rosemary McClure, who had been one of the top writers for the LA Times for many years, a California native who also lives near Yosemite. We have a fabulous book on Arizona, uh, written by two experts, one in Phoenix, one of them lives closer to Sedona, 
but they know the whole state. They're constantly traveling around. We've got another book to Utah that I highly recommend. And I'm very proud of our New England guide. Fromer's New England has about eight authors because it's such a rich, historic, complex region that we really needed somebody in Connecticut to write about Connecticut and somebody in Rhode Island to write about that because there's so much to cover. Um, So let me see, what else do we have? Uh, We also have fabulous books to Hawaii. Hopefully Hawaiian travel will be back soon. Our author Jeannie Cooper used to work for the San Francisco Chronicle. Now she lives on the island of Maui, poor woman. Uh, We have Martha Chang in Oahu who writes for one of the major local newspapers there. Uh, So that's what makes Fromers different. It's not just people who dive into a destination and then slap up something on TripAdvisor. These are people who live in the destinations and who spend their time doing research that when they recommend a campground or a hotel or a trail in a park or a an adventure travel company, it's because they've tried each of them. They've tried more than one. They've tried 10 or 15 or 20. Uh, and they think these are the best ones. Uh, that's why we have star ratings. Zero stars means actually it's good. If it's in the book, we like it. Up to three, three is a must. And a, these books are must-haves. So we hope you'll pick them up wherever books are sold. Fromers Yellowstone, Fromers Yosemite, Fromers Utah, etc. We have to say goodbye for this week. We thank you so much for listening. And to those who are traveling, a hearty bon voyage. Bon voyage. Bon voyage.